if you want to be an effective procurement organization that can proactively address the business's needs, that has visibility that to create supply strategies around, you know, consolidation opportunities or compliance or what have you, you have to have access to clean and current information. It has to be at your fingertips at all times. that you know we're talking we're kind of talking sourcing and procurement here but I know you and I have also talked a bit about the fact that um, while those two functions will will continue to go on there's really is a this emerging area of more enterprise-wide really supplier slash vendor management right so so sourcing and procurement is is part of that but um, I was just I was just at a conference in Atlanta on Monday and Tuesday. It was the uh, um, it was a third party risk management summit. Uh, so it was actually folks that um, were in this field of viewing third parties as strategic relationships that bring a lot of risk, uh, but also bring a lot of value and potential. And these companies have uh, are taking a more strategic approach to really not just pieces of the relationship, but really managing the entire relationship from from sourcing through procurement, through contracting and onboarding the vendor, and really then on the back end of that process, the ongoing oversight and management of the relationship. Where a lot of times we find once the contract is signed, th- that becomes incredibly. Uh, inconsistent and fragmented across most organizations because there's no standards that are set, there's nobody kind of owning how you go about managing the contract and managing the relationship. And we have a lot of clients that have uh, compliance requirements as well. So they might be, they might get federal funding, so there are procurement requirements they have to follow for federal funding. In the healthcare side, there's a lot of stuff that comes down from um, uh, CMS, uh, there are HIPAA regulations, things like that that need to be managed. So this, this, all these different components that live in procurement or live in compliance or might live in risk or finance, are we're seeing an emerging area where that's starting to really come together in more of a holistic view of the vendor relationship and trying to coordinate and put those pieces together so you can really get the, the greatest value out of the relationship from for the, the whole life cycle kind of cradle to grave, but also you're integrating in the right stakeholders along the way. Are you guys, I think you guys are starting to see some of that as well. What what are you seeing in that area? Yeah, we're, we're definitely seeing uh, third-party risk management and supplier management after a contract signed as something that organizations are getting more and more focused on. And... Uh, also still really struggling with how to balance all those things, right? So you've got the stakeholders uh, with the with the need that a, a third-party supplier needs to fill. You've got procurement or strategic sourcing uh, involved to help identify those suppliers and to put in place agreements. But then you've also got legal and um, third-party risk or compliance involved at various stages of the supplier life cycle yeah. right and 
boy, it, it can be messy. It's it's crazy. So, you know, we've got a lot of our, our clients, especially in the financial services industry, have, you know, big regulatory concerns around supplier management and making sure that suppliers, especially those that have access to uh, customer or employee data, are doing the right things uh, as it relates to, uh, you know, managing that data for sure and, and keeping it secure. Um, and also that their systems have the proper protections in place so they can't be accessed by uh, outside parties. So, you know, we we just worked with a bank that, uh, you know, it was funny, the, the sourcing process itself was solid, but once a supplier got to contracting, you know, there were these checks where third-party risk had to come in and do the compliance, do, do the compliance piece, you know, the, the risk assessment. Um, and it got very confusing between legal procurement and third-party risk as to who does what when. Yep. Um, and we, we did a few sourcing events and found that the, the life cycle uh, for sourcing was maybe 45 days to get a contract through legal and the third-party risk process took another 60 to 75 days wow. on average. Um, so we ended up, you know, mapping out what's the current workflow. And there were something like 43 points in the workflow and really no roles and responsibilities assigned a lot of those points. And we just segmented it. So to say, you know, within this stage of five events, third-party risk is going to manage it. And then it will get handed off to legal, and then it gets handed off back to procurement, and finally to the stakeholder. And tightening that up into about 12 steps with clear roles and responsibilities just made it a lot easier uh, for the client to manage and, and shorten that contracting lifecycle down to about 20 days, but also just provided a lot of relief both to the stakeholders and to the supplier who are just getting quite frankly, frazzled <laughs> by what was going on, not knowing who to talk to when or, you know, what actions to take when. So, you know, the, the one thing I think that organizations who are building out compliance and third-party risk need to be clear about is more process does not actually mean better process, right? So how do you do things in a strategic way that makes sense for the business um, that treats suppliers according to the requirements they're looking to fill, right? Not all suppliers are created equal. Uh, the guy who's selling you pens and pencils and uh, the firm that you're outsourcing your help desk to are two different things. Absolutely. And you need to uh, treat them differently as it relates to supplier management, uh, which incorporates third-party risk, but also all the other, um, you know, aspects of management from... Uh, getting access to new technologies and innovation, to managing contracts, to the way you're buying from those suppliers. Right, right, and that 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 the whole, you know, the innovation piece. I, I mean, that's that's higher level thinking right there, right? I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's I think where folks want to uh, get to, but your your whole example around the contracting process. I, I think one of the things we're finding is we're talking to to clients and, and prospective clients that are coming to us and thinking about vendor management in a more strategic way really gets down to a very 
getting our blocking and tackling done yep. and getting that in place first. And your, your example is a perfect example because you've got so many different stakeholders that touch the vendor relationship at some point during the process that starts with sourcing and procurement and then moves into contracting and then really, you know, the whole onboarding process of the vendor, which it's funny because we, I mean, you think about where companies spend their money. They spend a chunk of their money with their people, their employees, right? And they spend another yeah. chunk of their money with their vendors. And if you think about the process and workflow they put in place to find employees, move them through the interview process, bring them on board, orient them in a proper way, train and educate them and, and integrate them in, and then have an ongoing performance management process that they go through with them to try to make them better and support the overall objectives of the company. And then you compare that to what's being done with, with <laughs> all the other money that they're spending with their vendors. It's, yeah. it's not, you know, it's night, night and day, but if you really just step back and think about it in its really simplest form, it, it makes sense. And you do have all these different stakeholders that are involved. And a lot of it is, is as you pointed out, it's, it's a lack of, it's not necessarily, um, you know, conflict. It's more a lack of clarity around who's supposed to do what and, and actually knowing what what is, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. You know, what, what are we supposed to be doing consistently during sourcing and procurement and contracting and who owns which pieces of that and who's the quarterback through that process, right? Who ultimately owns that relationship and should be kind of managing it? And I, I think that's one of the things that's driving the folks that we're talking to to think about either formalizing a central vendor management office and we're seeing, we're seeing more of that for sure or, you know, does that live somewhere else? Might it live in procurement? So it's still kind of a considered under the procurement shop, but it's really more of an, an enterprise-wide function. And do they need committees that are involved internally that bring the different stakeholder groups together so they can just really think holistically around the whole relationship? And what started off as at the conference that I went to the earliest week that I mentioned, that was it was a compliance, it was put on by compliance week so there were a lot of compliance folks there, but the conversation was, so they had everybody from like Abercrombie and Fitch, Coca-Cola was there, um, some large healthcare systems, and they were really talking about their journey from where, you know, as they thought about vendors, uh, it started off around really compliance-driven and cost management-driven to now it's much more risk, it's innovation, it ties in more strategically to to that relationship with the vendor. And that that's the direction that folks are heading in, but a, a lot of folks are still, still early on in the process, I think. Joe, hey. this is Paul. I was just gonna add one thing to what you said about you yeah. know more processes, not necessarily better process. One of the things that we find in working with our, our vendor risk uh, software application to kind of bring technology to, to the oversight and management of the vendor relationships is that it's really important to make sure that that we, we don't allow the organization to be working for the system, that ultimately the system is working for the, the organization, as you're yeah. describing, because it's so easy to get caught up in, oh, we want to do all these things and we're, we're doing it this way, now we're just going to throw technology against it. But it's really a time to take a step back and really think through those more optimized and strategic processes you're talking about and simplification and, and really identifying stakeholders and roles and responsibilities I think yeah. is really critical. Yeah, basic blocking and tackling that a lot of folks just don't have in place. 
Absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's really kind of unique for for our space, the vendor management and the procurement space, and it's that there's a lot of mature organizations that have gotten all these things right and figured figured it out. But to your point, right from the beginning, Tom, there's also a lot of organizations that are just getting started and and still have to get the basics and the fundamentals down. And I think that goes back to kind of what we talked about, the evolution of procurement into a, a sourcing function or really a supply management function, which is where it's at today, is the skills that you need to be a supplier manager are very different than the skills that you need to be you know, a procurement person. Yep. And if, if the folks who are responsible for supply relationships thought of it thought of the process the same way you laid out there around bringing on new employees that visibility and that thought process in itself i think would create a lot less friction and and help people kind of think more clearly about what needs to be done and how it should be done but it's tough because there's so much change going on so rapidly that it it's it's hard for some folks to to get past the the blocking and tackling stage. Yeah, you know, we, we see that's why a lot of companies come to us looking for training, right? Because they've they've got folks who are 15, 20 years doing procurement, but you know the the way the industry's headed and and um, the way things have changed, the the procurement groups haven't caught up to that. And so they need to get these people to have a different set of skills than maybe they had in the past. You know, the the Deloitte CPO survey just came out for 2018. And one of the key takeaways was organizations have traditionally had a really that that survey has, has talked about the talent gap quite a bit. And in the 18 survey, the talent gap has actually closed a little bit, which is good news for procurement. Mm. You know that the the function seems to be catching up to to the evolution that they've needed. And I think a lot of that has to do with um, uh, universities and higher ed uh, starting to get more formalized supply chain programs. So I think back when I went to school, you know, only a handful had anything that resembled supply chain. Sure. And now there's, you know, some of the biggest schools out there have really good, robust supply chain programs. You know, Penn State has a good one. Yeah. Mer- uh, I was just at... Um my older son's going to college this year and we're uh, looking at my alma mater, the University of Maryland, and went and visited the Smith Business School. They have one of the top supply chain programs in the country at uh, Maryland. And I know when I went there, as you said, Joe, I mean, it wasn't even a thought, wasn't even a a blip on the radar, but now they have an entire, it's one of eight programs offered through the school, um, which the fact that they have a whole program around that is, is pretty impressive. And it tells you, and part of that's, you know, obviously being driven by the globalization of just our economy, right? Yeah. And the continued expansion and growth and, and a lot of the risks that come from that, right? So as you're, as you're sourcing stuff in, in different countries, I mean, you can't kind of live in a bubble. You've got to really mm-hmm. understand what's going on with the political climate, the economic climate, um, what's going on financially uh, here as well. I mean, just think about, um, you know, all this conversation around the tariffs uh, yep. that, that might be happening and who knows what will happen 
and when, but the point being is that that, that has a direct impact to your supply chain. Um, even in the short term, as folks don't know what's going to happen, they're just getting antsy about it. So you, you yeah. know, you're seeing price fluctuations and things like that as well. But I think, you know, just um, in getting back to what we were talking about with just the the whole business discipline around vendor management and yeah. and getting folks to think about that, I I do think that the the time where it was really more of a, okay, that's interesting, I kind of get it at a, at a conceptual level, we probably should be doing something, but we have lots of other fish to fry. Right. Know, if, I think the times are changing a lot on that, and it's not going to slow down. When you see what's happening with these cybersecurity breaches and, and just how many of them all flow down to third parties, and, and not just direct vendor relationships, but you know, you, when you use vendors, your vendors are using vendors. And, yeah. and especially when you get in technology, uh, data capture and storage, processing of transactions, financial transactions, things like that. It's not just your vendor's software that, that you're flowing that through. I mean, you're dealing with merchant processing companies, you're dealing with, um, you know, Amazon Web Service. I mean, you're dealing with a lot of fourth parties as part of that. And, and the, the public doesn't care where the breach happened. They just care that they, they entrusted you with their, I mean, just think about Facebook. I was just gonna say, right? I mean, my, right. my daughter was talking to me last night about this whole Facebook thing that literally this thing started with a few hundred thousand people through a third party survey, ended up breaching 50 million Facebook records. Right, right. Well, they, they were pretty strategic in how they went in and, <laughs> and got that information. But I mean, just when, well, I mean, there's just so many of these. So these things are all going on, and the public doesn't care about that it was your vendor. They care that that you didn't do your job in protecting their information, and they're going to hold you accountable, whether it's with their pocketbook, uh, or you know, if you're in the healthcare industry um, and you have data breaches, you have financial fines that you're paying, right? Right. So you have responsibilities. It's, it's costing, in some cases, pretty sub- significant amounts of money in the millions in some cases with these guys. And, and as we had mentioned, I think as I had mentioned early on, we do a lot of work with, with federally funded nonprofits and NGOs, and there's a whole new set of procurement standards that came out around um, how they can buy stuff with federal right. money. And, and so compliance is driving it, cybersecurity is driving it, um, I think there's some some other economic factors. There's there's certainly a growth in in companies thinking about risk more holistically within the organization. And as those risk management programs mature, they're realizing that vendors pose a significant risk to the organization and how that's being dealt with. So there's just a lot of things that are kind of going on that all point back to needing to have a really more thoughtful, strategic way in managing your vendors. And I think that there's gonna be folks that are always gonna be on the front end of the bell curve that see that and wanna get to that early on before something happens. But there's also gonna be a lot of folks that something bad happens and either senior management or the board of directors looks at it and says, this can't happen again, we've gotta get this fixed and we need to think about this in a better way. That, that's true, and I would say there's also at the top of that bell curve a bunch of companies who think they're doing what they need to do, mm. 
because they've built a compliance process, but that are really just checking boxes. Yep. And that really don't have the protections in place that they they think they do. That's a great point. And it, a real quick good example of that would be, um, you know, the collection of, you know, SOC 2 reports, yeah. audit reports, insurance certificates. So we see that that gets done and the boxes get checked. But really, what's the whole purpose of that process? It's, it's what's it's, inside those reports. What's inside those reports that that a, a professional that knows how to 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 look at them and and knows what they're looking for to interpret it and figure out what are the risks that that are here and are they being appropriately managed and what additional follow up should be done with due diligence and things like that. So, you're what you're saying is yeah, d- definitely right on and it's it's the same type of stuff that we're seeing as well and um you know unfortunately in some cases folks don't start doing anything with that till they get smacked up the side of the head because right. something bad happened and then all of a sudden it's uh all hands on deck and they want to do something then and i think that's one of the challenges is is you know people are so used to being driven by roi and very clear metrics and in some cases the things we're discussing are a little bit more challenging to really align those types of just simple num- numerical analysis to. It requires a little bit more of a, a strategic understanding of the you know where risk and where cost savings and where all these factors can come together to make that that bottom line improvement for an organization. Yeah. So Joe, one uh, I want to kind of close us out on one thing. We've talked a little bit about the sourcing and procurement. We've talked about yeah. kind of this emerging trend around more holistic view on vendor management. What other, I mean, you guys are working with a lot of really interesting and diverse clients. So are there any other emerging trends or best practices out there that you're seeing that you think are, are, um, uh, are relevant and, and you might be able to share a little bit about? Well, the the one thing that we we haven't really covered yet that I think is a trend that that is heading in in the right direction is the the technology side of things. So incorporating technology into the procurement process through you know the the procurement side. So when you talk about e-cataloging, uh, e-procurement, through sourcing, contracting, and then supplier management. I've found in the in the last year or two that the industry is the the technology industry is finally catching up with the needs there. So one thing I've always found going into every procurement organization that I've talked to is I will hear some version of this comment. We have bad data (laughs) or our data is terrible. Right. And in a if you want to be an effective procurement organization that can proactively address the business's needs, that has visibility that to create supply strategies around, you know, consolidation opportunities or compliance or what have you, you have to have access to clean and current information. It has to be at your fingertips at all times. Yeah. Um, you can't manage what you can't see. And it's amazing to me how many organizations today still have that spend visibility or, or uh, you know, uh, cost visibility uh, struggle. So um, it is trending, though, in the right direction. I think organizations are starting to see that, that that's kind of an absurdity almost yeah, right. <laughs> at this point, um, that if, if you 
can keep clean and accurate records on the things that you sell, then you should be able to keep clean and accurate records on the things that you buy. And if you don't have a center-led procurement organization where everything flows through a central processing mechanism, which is going to be technology uh, aided or enabled, um, you're not going to be able to do that. I love that. If you have uh, good technology to track information on the things you sell, you should have good technology to track information on the things you buy so you can make informed decisions. So, so this... We're, I agree with you on the technology side. We're seeing a lot of that as well. And, and there's a variety of different technologies that are out there. So are there any in particular that you're seeing uh, the clients that you're talking to more interested in than others and, and not only interested but maybe even adopting in, in more frequency lately? I wouldn't say, call out a particular, um, you know, technology in terms of a provider, but in, in terms of what they're buying. Yeah, functionality, I mean, right. P2P. And, and that's really where things should start, and it tends to be the last thing companies do, but procure-to-pay software. So that e-cataloging, e-procurement, which creates the spend visibility, it creates the context for contract management and supplier management. But um, in the past, I've seen a lot of companies kind of start with spend analytics or sourcing platforms, which helps the process for sure, but without everything going through that central procurement process, sure. it, it doesn't create any controls or, or any embedded workflows that uh, procurement can manage. Sure. So, so just for, for the folks that may not know exactly what that is, just can you talk through kind of a little bit about on the procure-to-pay uh, technology side, what that would kind of encompass, or maybe even the workflow that would go through there, sure. just, at a high, just at a high level. Sure. It's it's basically when um, when someone has a need, they, they create a requisition through a technology. Um, that requisition then gets uh, submitted as a purchase order. Procurement can look at it, point, point it to the approved vendor, um, uh, make the purchase through the vendor, or go out into a catalog system and say, this is what I need, and it, it automatically uh, sends the purchase order to the vendor that's preferred for that product or service. And then um, you can manage the receipt of the product and any kind of supplier management activities that are embedded into it, all the way through to paying uh, the supplier through an e-invoicing technology. Mm-hmm. So it connects all the points in the procure to pay process uh, through technology, very Amazon type systems, um, which if you think about how easy it is to buy on Amazon, why don't companies have that already? Um, Some companies do obviously, but it's still, it's still new to others. And from what I've seen, uh, most of the major players in the space are predicting somewhere between 40 and 50% growth just in the U.S. market for the next year. So tells you that it's still new and that there's still a lot of room for companies to start adopting those types of technologies. Without a doubt. And I think, um, you know, you, you made a couple of points. So because really that, so what that does, I think, is in most companies anyway, it takes a very probably inconsistent and paper-based process that they're doing now and, and really brings that into a central system which both automates the workflow, 
uh, it, it helps with compliance and approval and things like that. And it gives you visibility into where things are at different points yeah. in the process. So how many procurements are out there, how many invoices are out there that need to be approved, that type of thing. Uh, but, but as you said, it really then starts to give you visibility into the data. So you, right. can, you can start to analyze that and make, make informed decisions. That's really interesting. I think one of the challenges with, with P2P and the growth and adoption is that um, it, it, and I'm, we're starting to see some of this as well, and you can tell me if you agree, is it was really built for the big players initially, and it needed to be scaled yep. a bit to come down into the mid-market and the small businesses. And we're seeing a lot more of that now. We're seeing, you know, especially with cloud computing and the ability to, to scale it that way. And, and maybe you don't need every bell and whistle. Maybe you just need some basic functionality or maybe the ability to modularize the product. So if I, if I only want you know, what's available in two of the modules, I don't need to buy all 10. That stuff, and, and that's much, much easier now with cloud computing and all you need is a browser um, to, to scale that and bring the price point down so that, so that a lot of the folks that, that could benefit from it can actually begin using it because it's more cost-effective for them. Would you agree? I would definitely agree. I think that's part of the reason why uh, we're starting to see such a trend towards the P2P platforms is um, that they're now all uh, SaaS-based or cloud-based, like you said, as well as the modularity of it so that they can, it's not an all-or-nothing proposition. It's which components of this do you need? And, and making that work within the, the confines of, of what a company is trying to do. So it creates a scalable, a scalable solution and it makes it easier to use. And like I said, uh, the fact that most of these uh, technologies are moving towards an, an Amazon-like interface is also making adoption a lot easier, which was also, I think, uh, something that companies have struggled with in the past. Yeah, making the interface so that the, the person that's actually using it doesn't have to go to an eight-hour training on how yep. to figure it out, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah the yeah. UX is getting much better. Awesome. Well, that's a really good. I appreciate you pointing out the technology side because that is a definitely an emerging trend we're seeing as well. I think that the P2P side, and, and on our end, we're also seeing um, just on, on basic kind of vendor relationship management. So we talked about, um, you know, whether or not you have a formal vendor management program we're finding that folks are also just trying to get their arms around, you know, who do they work with and what contracts do they have with those vendors and yep. what types of risks are associated with those relationships and, and what due diligence is done and where do we store the SOC 2 reports and the audit reports and things like that. So, so on the kind of outside the transactional piece, which is more around the procure to pay, kind of that relationship management piece too, we're seeing yep. folks really trying to, to focus a bit more on that. And you had talked about it earlier on the sales side. I mean, you've got CRM, right, for your for your customers and your prospects. You're really on the vendor management side. You need something similar to that to know who you're working with and what you're doing with them and, and all that other stuff to manage those relationships just like you manage your your customers and clients. So. You know, it's it's growing, and I think again, as you had mentioned, I think that the cloud piece of it is is helping as well, kind of move that along in the process. So, so yep. listen, this is I know we're up on our time limit here. This has been 
a, a really great conversation. We appreciate you uh, coming on and joining us. You guys do some some awesome work there at Source One Management, and um, we really appreciated the partnership with you, and and look forward to uh, to keeping our relationship going for uh, for a very long time. So, Joe. Thanks for joining us today, and I appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me.